0: What does one's interest, recent or past, in championship wrestling have to say about our human tendency to violence? Or is there a violence at work even in our conversations? Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Path the podcast for the pastor-theologian. We're that place where we have conversations with our guests uh, centered around the intersection of life, faith, and our interactions with an active God in the world. Thus, we call it theological Reflection. We're a podcast that offers a resource for pastors and lay folks who are interested in those subjects uh, in their own life and in the lives of those that they have conversations with day to day. Today, I get to have another conversation with my friend, Eric Hall. He wrote an article that at its heart was about violence, the violence in everything, including us. We have a wide-ranging conversation that inevitably always turns back to a Christological focus. Hopefully, the theological nerd in you will be inspired by that to stay with us till the end. It really is a good, fun conversation. It's also very challenging along the way. That is challenging in the sense to reflect and think of the ways that we actually participate in violence unwittingly. So uh, if you get to the end of the podcast and you find it helpful in the conversation, something that might be worth sharing, then please do share it in any way you uh, have available to you. Uh, If you are new to the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. If you find it really helpful, and maybe even if you don't, do us a favor and and leave a review uh, and a rating in iTunes. It kind of gets us out there and helps people find us who are looking for this particular uh, niche, this particular sort of podcast. So um, I might have an announcement uh, at the end uh, about an upcoming guest, uh, kind of a uh, mutual beneficial uh, conversation With uh, another podcast friend And so stick around After uh, Eric and I are finished And we'll update you on that As always, thanks for listening So uh, I see Is that dog crate in the background? That is, yeah What kind of, what kind of dog you got?
1: Here, I'll, I'll bring him over Come here, buddy. He's part Malmute, part uh, Australian shepherd Come here big guy He's a big boy too. He'll come hang out with me while uh, we uh, here. Come over here. Uh, yeah. yeah, cool. Show yourself. Oh yeah, yeah. he's a big guy. Here. He's What's a big this? guy. Yeah, he's a, he's yep. about uh, about seventy eight pounds or so. Wow. So, you know, we got we decided to get big dogs around here because there are mountain lion out back and right. He can't he can't beat a mountain lion, but he can sure uh, give us time to get away if necessary. Not that I sure. want that to happen to the boys. Sure,
0: but. sure, sure. Yeah, I had a Malamute. Uh, oh gosh, long time ago. Didn't survive the uh, Central Texas climate very well.
1: Oh, I bet. Yeah, they, that would be hot down there, huh?
0: Oh my goodness, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty tough on my little, uh, I've got an uh, Australian shepherd mini and yeah. it's pretty, you know, he's, he's got a thick coat. So yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, and I'm always, I'm always torn. Like in the summertime, do you, do you cut the coat or does it actually insulate him a little bit? Well, I, the lady,
0: uh, young lady who, um, breeds these dogs. I, we asked her about that because we have friends who do Clip them, and she said, "I wouldn't do it." She said that actually insulates that underneath. If you get too deep on the cut, that uh, first layer really kind of helps insulate them and keeps them actually cooler, even though yeah. they look hotter. So sure. Sure. we don't. We we don't. But this is our first real summer. He was a puppy last summer, so it's it's yeah. kind of getting used to that. So
1: did you move from Oklahoma? Are you in Central Texas now, or were, did you? No,
0: come? that was a long time ago. A long I'm still. I'm still in Oklahoma. So. Well, um, intriguing times and I, 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 mean, I, uh, I picked up like your, I, I read your article and I said, man, I got to." Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, here I we are. Who knew last week when I said, Hey, let's pop on and talk about this, that there'd be a shooting in Virginia. I mean, you Good know, lord, that's just absolutely crazy. You know, it and is. then, and then our denomination uh, is having their annual meeting and, um, you allude to the war of words, and um, and so there's some uh, discussion over some words. I I wouldn't say that there's a, a war going on, but um, it does reference a cultural sort of warring, if you will. So, yep, I thought it'd be I thought it'd be cool to jump on and and chat about your piece a little bit.
1: Let's
0: um, do it. So so really, um, I we really probably should have talked about um, our, our uh, yours at very. Uh, uh, out there And my more latent affection for Yeah, that's right, WWF <laughs> That's right <laughs> I mean, you know, listen um, uh, Here locally They used to have a, a Off channel who covered uh, uh, Events at the National Guard Armory And I mean, <laughs> as junior high kids Me and my brothers, oh my goodness We couldn't wait for the next episode we practiced those moves on each other, and wow. I mean, you know, it was uh, it was quite the deal. We we had I, a neighbor, neighbor move in next to us, and took us to a big event at one of the one of the big uh, convention centers one time, and cage match
1: and all that business, awesome. you know. So, I mean, I, yeah. grew, I grew up in the era of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh
0: yeah, oh yeah.
1: I, oh, I loved yeah. it when he was the. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't. I, I couldn't even go back to what his sort of uh, character represented, other than Texas, maybe. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, I thought it was a really good motif, though. I mean, of course, you know, it it
0: did kind of resonate with the whole uh, G and Fort. Uh, episode, you know, the, the reference came out and you could never get it really clear. Did he really body slam the guy? Did he just throw <laughs> him down? You know, you have these images of a guy, you know, pressing the man over his head, twirling yeah. around a couple of times and chunking him, you know? exactly.
1: And, so yeah, see, you just I, don't know I, exactly what was going on. Here's my guess is it was a super sloppy push down. Um, and, uh, I've, I've since gotten into, uh, into, uh, jujitsu and, uh, You know, for better and worse. And it's, it's, uh, if he had a good double leg takedown, it might be excusable. At least then there, there could be some, uh, some give and take afterwards. But I can't, I can't excuse barroom fighting anymore.
0: Yeah. I mean, it seemed, it seemed really odd. I mean, um, Gian Ford's no 21 year old. So it's kind of weird. It was kind of weird that, you know, you, you kind of got that, uh, um, Reference, you know, that he body slammed It's like, wait a minute. I mean, maybe the reporter who um, was reporting on that was kind of how he envisioned, you know, what happened. I don't know. It it was weird nonetheless.
1: Yeah, it it was it was a very strange set of events to take place just before the election. Um, Look, to Jim Forte's credit here and not much, by the way. Uh, I'm not willing to give him much here, but I'm going to say I'm sure it gets a little bit stressful out on the stump. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you got, if you're entering modern politics, I would assume that you understand that this kind of crap is going to happen to you, and that be, that's not an excuse to allow right. the stress of what you're up to uh, cause you to assault another person. Right, right.
0: And I thought that was a, a a pretty good, you know, entry point. I, I really appreciated, you know, this article in the in the initial sense of just, you know, being frank and here's what we're talking about. You know, we, 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 we're not applauding violence, even though we've laughed a little bit about, That's right. you know, um, the whole way it was reported and our own older affinities to these sorts yeah. of sporting things yeah. and all. but. But in the end, you know, it really is a serious matter to, to try to figure out the, the violence that, you know, we actually um, try to mask, yep. as I think you really point out. And, and I think that, um, that then we um, are taken to, I think, the more critical place, and that is in our dialogue, you know, mm-hmm. how we pretend that the only one, you know, really foisting violence on another human being are really those who've got guns, yeah. That's and uh, instead, it really happens all the time. And that's what happened in this, you know, give and take with the reporter and Gianfort. And, and it blows up. It, it blows, up. blows up. And and it's, you know, I don't know that we ought to go, oh, is it really kind of a rupture of the real or, or an eruption of the real that, you know, Zizek or somebody would, you know, kind of point to. But it does expose what you pointed out was what lies at the heart of us. You know, yeah it does right. it does lie at the heart of us and it when pushed and pressed we do find out what's in us you know yeah.
1: and no I think so and I and I think we are violent uh, we're, we're violent or we're cowards or we're, we're overly ma- machoistic or you know there there's any number of things at the heart of us that uh, could come out in these situations and they probably all do yeah it, I mean it's a it's an interesting thing because I don't want to enter a game of blame the reporter right sure, the sure. probably just doing his job as we've set up the job right? In the modern world but the problem is at least as I see it and I'm not sure reporting could be any other way but the problem is that the modern world is set up so that dialogue is no longer dialogue but monologue and each and everything that you ask it's expected is going to be a gotcha moment or it's going to somehow nail you on something and de-dignify you show what your real intentions were and how bad of a person you were
0: yeah i i, I don't think there's i don't think there's any uh, question about that i think it 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 seems to be a natural setup for antagonisms or at least to pull out the antagonisms. Exactly. And, and I think that one of the things that, that you, um, you you don't directly necessarily um, get there, but I think you open up for kind of a follow up. And that is, that is, you know, we need to be more aware of the antagonisms. Yep. You know, so it is certain to be aware of what's in us, what okay. we're capable of and whatever that root it is, whether, like you said, a, a, a variety of things, whether we're machoistic or we're cowardly or you know, whatever it is that's driving us internally violently. We, if we're going to, if we're going to kind of, you know, recover from those uh, places uh, a better way forward, we, we're going to have to be alert to our antagonisms. What. Tr- what our triggers are or what yes. triggers those sorts of things. So I agree with you. I don't know that reporters necessarily should be blamed for that, but it does seem that they know how to draw out the antagonisms. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah no, that's right. That's <laughs> right. They're, they're, they're especially good at it and setting up uh and, and in some ways, like you, you got, you know, you sit back and you go, yeah, we need that. And uh, I don't want just an overly benign reporter uh, who is not going to press an issue. But there's a difference between pressing an issue, and again, this is not what I think this reporter necessarily did. Maybe, I, can't, I, I right. can't judge, but there's a difference between pressing an issue and de-dignifying a person. I actually, you know, look, I will say on air here, I am no fan of Trump. Um Wow, that's probably a huge surprise. Uh, I also was not a fan of Hillary Clinton either. Um, But the type of reporting that has emerged with regard to Trump at least as I've noted it, it is for the most part trying to de-dignify him as a person rather than draw out the absurdities of his positions. No, it doesn't through that, but there is certainly, you want to talk about why some conservatives voted for him. Well, there is a slant. There is a bias to draw out, if you will, the worst possible caricature of this man and his positions rather than allow the man to be who he is. And he's probably partially absurd and partially sane like the rest of us uh, and, and critique the living heck out of his positions or at least inform people of them so they can do so. Sure. Sure. But you know, you, you raise a,
0: you raise an issue that I think kind of, kind of maybe, at least helps us see into why that has become such a problem. You, you used it a number of times in your first point where you were describing the way we outsource things. Yeah, that's right. So, so you know, um, I, I especially like the idea of outsourcing responsibility. Mm-hmm. And what I mean, I say I like that, I like the way you drew attention to the way we outsource responsibility.
1: And so, it's particularly a responsibility for violence that we don't directly do, right? That's exactly right. That's
0: exactly right. Yeah, and and but I think don't you think that um, that that really that trajectory begins with just our inability to, to um, be be self reflective. Um, so so if we're going to yeah. start with the whole idea that that there's violence in us. But if we're denying that or trying to give cover for that, we're going to outsource responsibility so that instead of that violence is in me, it's a pro- provocation. Yeah, that's right. So, so then I point to, well, I'm not normally a violent person, but that reporter, yeah. you should have just, his question was so ridiculous. Yeah. I'm yeah. not, I, I just, I would not normally do a thing like that.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, you're trying it out in an interesting way. So let, let, let's let do two things here. Because I, what I'm trying to show people, and I do this in a lot of classes, and this is ultimately a Christological point for me, which we can come back to at the yeah. end. Yeah. Um, we. Uh, <clears throat> we dupe ourselves into thinking that we're nonviolent people, right? That's kind of the motif of the modern world. Look at us in our beautiful cities or wherever we tend to live. I actually think you get a little closer to violence when you move more rurally, both for better and worse. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I can go, I can pick up a piece of sausage pizza at the uh, local deli and I can enjoy that. And there was no blood involved. I didn't have to hunt. And yet, I, I think the entire social order is grounded in some sort of violence, and I'm not alone in this. Look at ancient Babylonian, uh, uh, you know, creation stories, the Enuma Elish. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is a reflection on the violence that holds at bay uh, that holds that bait chaos, right. That brings order. So we have this ordered violence that staves off a worse sense of violence in and through, uh, the chaos of lesser gods who are trying, you know, uh, but, but for us, it's a matter of outsourcing it. We don't like looking at a dead bloody pig. I don't like looking at a dead bloody pig. We don't like, we get offended um, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly when we see an officer uh, put an arm, be- put someone's arm behind their back and shove their face into the ground. Right. Um, I-, I get it. These things are difficult to look at. Uh, and yet. It's we who hire out those forms of violence taking ourselves out of the process of violence and putting up the pretense then that we're not violence and allowing us to sort of create this um, this false image of ourselves as purely bound to peace yeah well wouldn't you
0: wouldn't you say that a, a fairly decent um, illustration is um, the uh, genre of movies, yeah that we vicariously love the heroes who Absolutely. are bringing order in the midst of chaos yep. and we self identify with the great success that you know this allegedly is going to produce for us, and the world will be restored back to some semblance of you know I can now walk my dog and yeah. <laughs> and and so I, I think that there are a number of cultural pieces currently that actually um illustrate your point by looking at uh Enum Elish. and yeah. and so i th- i think that's that's one place that that's really um you know that in video games you know the mature video games so yeah. i'm not really violent except when i'm sitting in front of my xbox yep yeah or my my new nintendo or whatever whatever gaming system you know i've got yeah and so to say it's not in me oh it's just a game but i'm i'm outsourcing that violence, you know, vicariously Two through uh, GFI picked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so I think, I think that's a, that's a great point that uh, um, we need to remember. Uh, what do you, what do you think about, um, you know, I'm thinking of, when you say, I think of um, the way Dallas Willard um, described how mm-hmm. we've misunderstood the gospel in terms of it's just a means for us to manage ourselves.
1: Sure. Yeah. So,
0: so really, here what you're describing is maybe we do know we have hints of violence, but these are the ways we're managing ourselves.
1: Yeah. That, no, that's a great question. So, I, I'm re, I'm doing this reading group this summer on City of God because I'm so interested in these questions of, uh, of violence are you know, and Augustine writes City of God because Rome has just been sacked. Uh, you know, pagans are blaming Christians for the sacking and he's defending them and he's drawing out the distinction between the violent city of man, as he calls it, which he describes in the first chapter that Rome sought merely to dominate and became, uh, became if you will, addicted to its domination. And then he'll later describe the city of God as the city of peace, right? Um, he actually brings, you know, he has certain stoic, Understandings where he says that, you know, we can be at peace in a violent world. Um, and there's something to that in the sense that we can learn to control ourselves and comport ourselves toward the good and uh, in, in, to peace in right ways. I think he doesn't go far enough, however, because I think Christologically, Ultimately, violence, it's draw into nothingness, the draw into death and decay are what's at stake on the cross. And it's those powers and principalities that Christ is in some ways, um, well, and definitively confronting, or that's even a violent term, if you will, giving himself over to uh, for salvation in some ways. Nice. to Stamp them out to recreate them. yeah. I, I don't know if that i mean like like i said ultimately at the at the bottom of this piece is a christological understanding for me that um yeah we're we're violent and that Christ is calling us away from violence and violence, and that we can't always get away from it either
0: <laughs> no in fact i in fact there's this you know I never ever thought about um your reference all the way down, so it's easy to um. Uh, capture your reference to um, eating a steak and missing out on the violence that uh, provided me the opportunity to enjoy that steak. Mm -hmm. But no one, you know, uh, vegans really love that particular bit. And then you actually decide to rupture their whole dream (laughs) in talking about how farming actually can be a violent act because you're, you're disrupting the habitat of a mole, a gopher, uh, uh, any number of animals as that plow um, does violence to the earth and turning it over and probably picks up a few rodents along the way. And, uh, and, and now, now we've safely tucked ourselves away, thinking that we're a nonviolent people, or this is the least violent means possible. And it's like, but you still find violence in the production of food. You always
1: find violence. You will always, in the Grand Canyon, the beauty of the Grand Canyon, as beautiful as it is, emerges through the violent rupture of various tectonic plates and, and a glacier uh, overcoming stone, right? Um, yeah. yeah. We, we live on a planet whereby uh, asteroids, compacted together in these violent explosive uh, actions, right? The world, the cosmos is in some ways determined by violence. Mm -hmm. That's why I think there's so much at stake Christologically. And when we talk about the scandal of the cross, and I know this is where we intended to go, but I... Oh, uh, let's go there. um, When we talk about the scandal of the cross, the scandal for us today is that we have too myopic of a view of this universe that we think that um there are cycles of violence that are benign because they're helpful um and then there are you know bad forms of violence and i and i just think that the gospel uh at the end of the day calls into question all violence including the violence in terms of which this universe mm-hmm. unfolded which is far bigger than human beings sure
0: sure and i think that that uh... Uh, that gets lost at least on some significant segments because of the, um, hyper on the individual to that's the exclusion right. of, you know, the cosmos and everything else that we see witness and, and bear witness to in, you know, uh, sensory uh, yeah, modes. Right. And, and so I, I do think that that is uh, another means to open up what that, um, um I've been, I read, Beverly Gaventa's little book on Romans, and, and she uses the word rectifying. Yep. So yep. the the work, uh, the christological work, is a rectifying, and and I thought, wow, that, that's a that's an image that you know actually may speak to us more than reconciliation, because in reconciliation we're still talking about a means to talk about the individual, that's right. because we don't yet grasp that we need to be reconciled to all of our surroundings.
1: That's why I think uh, even prior to rectify, this is where the east, uh, the Eastern Church is still right on in terms of how it presses things. It, it talks recapitulation. Mm, Christ right. is the establishment of a new Adam, and when we say that he establishes a new Adam, he's really... a a new, the promise of new creation such that the old ways of death, destruction, and violence will not rule us anymore. And I actually think that all of that is a precondition to either rectification, which is Mm. itself a Mm. precondition to reconciliation. Sure. Sure. No, I mean, how are you to, how are you to be reconciled with someone if you can still go to war with them? Yes. (laughs) yes and, uh,
0: yeah those possibilities still exist that's exactly, exactly right oh absolutely uh that's that's uh, uh that's a pretty thought provoking move right there
1: yeah yeah i'm still i'm still uh i'm still if you will pressed by by this but i i think i think i'm pressing the gospel to the fullness of where I think it goes but it's it's a difficult uh that's that's why um <laughs> You know, when I'm making a Christological claim, I'm claiming that a dead first century Jew is somehow intrinsically important to the trajectory of the universe and where it goes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, you can't get more rooted there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when when um, you move on from, you know, reminding us um, of what really is at the center of us, that this violence actually is is all around, is pervasive, it's, yeah. it's It's just all pervasive you know you 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 take up to to really kind of point to the ways in which we really all participate on um on a greater level so so i sit down and, and order a steak or i'm I'm a vegan and and i I don't know exactly how the the crops were farmed and what the ground was like and what might have died in the process um but now my language the way I have conversation with others. That's an always sort of thing. Not unless you're going to, you know, take up a hermitage somewhere. You're always going to be pressed in force by relationships with people. And you're drawing out the way that current discourse you let off with it. You know, there's no dialogue. It's monologue. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really tweet for replies. I tweet so you can hear me. Yeah. I don't Facebook posts for interactions. I have Facebook so you know the way it is, you know. Um, I don't blog because I want you to comment. I want to put it out there because I like to read myself. I like to hear myself and I want you to know what the right thing is, you know?
1: I mean, you're touching close to home. It's always good. Like, I I love those examples because you just see it even well up. I'm aware of these things and I see it well up within myself, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think all of us who participate in those always run you know, run right up to the precipice of of jumping off and that being the really thing. And, and if we're not aware of it, you know, so we actually have to take steps to try to figure out how can I endear communication? How can I make this dialogical and not monologue? How can I make this about more than just me getting my ideas out there? Sure. I mean, you know, you, you write a book uh, and you want people to respond to it. In fact, yeah. you and I have talked about your book and, and I, I love it still you know reflect on it and 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 you didn't put it out there just so you could go man that looks great on the shelf it was how can this enter the world of ideas to help someone really kind of capture really what we think you know god's doing in the world through this you know cross dead uh, uh, you know a homeless Jew, he yep, yep. vindicated in the resurrection. So, exactly, yeah. in, in, I forgot that part. Thank you for adding yeah. that. In, in that. You know, we we really are wanting because we think it's it's in those dialogical moments really that we're changed and our as you refer to it as our interlocutor is is changed. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are that interaction is what produces that change. Yep, that's right um, for the
1: better. And- and it's an interaction with the right spirit, right? I mean, this is, yes. this is the point, <laughs> not to continually go back here. It's the point of the Gorgias form. Ah, uh, yes. Because we had that long discussion, right? Uh, in, the, in this famous Platonic text, or at least famous in my mind, uh, <laughs> we're, we're asked the question by Plato, do you want to win this battle of wits? Or do you want to press with another with whom you may actually disagree into the truth ever further, Mm -hmm. trying to clarify, come to grips with, and ever conform to a reality that you don't get to construct solely on your own, but get to participate in as a a community?
0: Oh, absolutely. I. I like your quote. In fact, I like when you're drawing your conclusions down to say that maybe one of the best things would be for Christians to appropriate the Socratic method for that purpose. Oh, that yeah. is, let's see if we can't use that as a means. Questions become the means, not the problem. That's right. And, and they actually provide us an avenue in which we can uh, both together seek to something um, more true, beautiful and good. So in in that way you um uh point out really how the the shift has hurt us and and I couldn't help but think when you talk about um people have a violence in their back pockets in conversation shutting down discourse and enforcing a viewpoint excluding listening to one's interlocutor and instead finding accusations, critiques, and oddities in the person or his views that will help you and your side win the argument. And I couldn't help but think of how that, that violence takes shape in a shaming. Sure. You know? Sure. Because you're, you come away from that feeling like, well, not that you got necessarily your view wasn't heard. It's more that you
1: got shamed for having the view. The, the, no, that's right. I mean, this actually, I'd say right now in my world, it is more rampant in what you might call progressive politically correct circles. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is more rampant in itself, by the way, because I just live in a different world than a lot of people. Right, do. right. Um, but, yeah, there tends to be a a shaming that you – A shaming of the person such that if they were even to entertain this view, well, you're obviously not on my side and you're on the bad side. You're on the side of Loki. You're on the side of whoever else the Avengers fight. And we're the Avengers and we're going to avenge this vision of what we conceive to be the true. Now, this certainly happens uh, on the conservative side of things, too. Oh, it oftentimes yeah. comes out through names like Libtard, right? I mean, mm-hmm, I've seen right, right. I can't remember some of the other ones, but like uh, I'm sure if I was to approach Clive and Bundy and say that I'm a big supporter of public lands and keeping them public, he would be outraged in half a second, right? Um, right. So, yeah, no, there's a there's an immediate shaming that takes place and we both feel one another's shame. That's Mm -hmm. part of this last election. There was so much shaming uh, of a certain segment that they said, here's my middle finger. uh, Here's who I'm voting for, despite me not being reasonable or whatever else you want to call me. And then it's going to go back the other way and it's going to just be this continual cycle.
0: Right. It, 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 it's, it was illustrated, um, in, uh, um, was it Vaught's hearing when Bernie Sanders began questioning. Oh, him. And at that particular point was there was a big shaming effect. It was, yeah. you know, we don't need your kind of people involved in yeah. government in any way. And, yeah. and it, it was what it's what you're describing here. That's a, another ready-made illustration that, that no matter what, position you hail from on the political spectrum you always have violence in your back pocket so that in conversation you can pull that card out and shame your opponent what's really crazy is is how that actually works within even particular groups yeah so whether you're progressive or conservative or liberal within your own little whatever self-identified you know um, silo that happens if you're not progressive enough, you're not liberal enough. enough, you're not conservative enough. I know. And so all of a sudden, the litmus test is um, be- becomes that monological uh,
1: move, and you get you get shamed. It, it's fun. I mean, I like the way that you uh, you put that because uh, you know, especially I, I keep my uh, political views relatively close to my chest. I'm fairly. You know, moderate or independent. I don't know. We all claim that, right? Uh, right. So, uh, but you know, theologically speaking, liberals usually think I'm very conservative, and uh, and conservatives think I'm very liberal, right? There, there. Right. And so, you, yeah. Whichever group you're in, you end up being not enough of X, Y, or Z. And and it's it is funny too to look at the way that. Um, that the ones who, how do you put this? The ones who have the most extreme views, I don't want to say extreme, they're just the strongest views of like the most liberal or the most conservative, they get to dial in and make the assumptions for everyone. So that if I'm, for instance, at theology beer camp, it's obvious that I wouldn't have voted for Trump. And I didn't. Uh, Or if I'm at uh, some other institution, it's, or if I'm at an evangelical institution, for instance, this might be unfair. It's obvious that uh, not, un, not believing in Christ means someone goes to hell. Something of that sort, right? I, you know, so these, I, I don't know if what I'm saying uh, makes sense, but the, the ones with yeah. the strongest views get to determine what it means to be in this position right. and shame everyone else who is not up to their level in par
0: right and then and then what happens in that whole uh, uh conversation, uh to get back to another theme we like to kind of you know kick around is 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 then the tradition is used against you yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> you know exactly. And whatever tradition that you hail from, and so instead of seeing tradition as a conversation partner yep. it, in itself, uh, not that it it has no merit or value or a deepness to it, but it then becomes selectively used. Yep. as a tool to shame you. Well, you. You violated the faith or you violated your tradition. Yep. Well, no, my traditions actually spawned the
1: questions. <laughs> that, and, I mean, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. It's because we still think of ourselves as in some ways separate from these traditions that we could then use against one another rather than being a part of the tradition itself that allows us to even ask the questions, right? Yeah, I think that's oh, a great yeah. point. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, one thing that you you also allude to that I wanted to chase a a little bit more was I like the way you put that it's intended to de-dignify. Yeah. Um, and, and I really appreciate the reference that, um, in the, in the, in the coverage of, uh, president Trump, um, there is a caricature of him that de-dignifies him. Yeah. No matter what, what, what you do or don't like about his personal scruples or his, you know, there is a caricature that has made him less than a human being.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And um, there is no place in any, anywhere along the spectrum for that sort of um, move. I agree. Otherwise uh, you have an ongoing illustration of the violence that you're talking about.
1: That's right. I mean, what what we're getting at, I, mean, I got the book right here with me, uh, Love Thy Neighbor, and it's about the second, yes, second uh, Yugoslavian pan-Slavic genocide that takes place in the 1990s um, and a little bit earlier, right? Uh, in the middle of uh, modern Europe, uh, where we expect there to be no more genocides, and I think there is a slightly racist overtone to that, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. We are um, confronted with precisely that—a horrific genocide, whereby, as uh, one person at the beginning of this says, the people that we used to go down and swim skinny dip with uh, with the naughty girls are now trying to slit our throats and rape our wives. Mm-hmm. Uh, And it's words, the potential that words carry within them, that sparks and spawns this, and the de-dignification that uh, one particular side in this genocide offers to the other. So the Bosnian Muslim uh, refugees, or not refugees, sorry, that's uh, the Bosnian Muslims were de-dignified by their Serbian uh, both. I think they were Catholic and Orthodox. I can't remember Mm -hmm. off the top of my head uh they they were told that the bosnians were going to come in rape their children kill them and so what ended up happening is slobodan milosevic he kept uh drawing out these undignities and indignities uh projecting them upon this people and eventually everyone bought it and uh, there emerged this pan-slavic genocide whereby the serbs began to uh to kill their neighbors. And it was in that de-dignification. It was in seeing them as uh, animals. And I don't even want to say that uh, seeing someone as an animal is bad because animals can be good too, right? We just talked about our dogs for a while. Right, right. You see them as somehow a demon, as somehow one who is going to try to get you in the middle of the night. Now we're on to warlike words that can very easily spill over into actual violence, And I think it will, and I think that we're seeing it in the news headline that we were talking about earlier with the shooting of, uh, what, one GOP representative. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And and I think that, you know, to uh, go back to your emphasis on how we could view this Christologically, you know this actually then points to the value of Jesus's faithfulness yes and what it is to restore the sense of humanity so the yes. I, the whole coming back to the recapitulation of a new adam here here now we've got ah uh, this is what humanity looks like and how humanity treats humanity yep yep anything short of that well we have multiple illustrations past and present of those sorts of violent moves
1: yep I, you know, it's interesting. I, this this is the some, one of the central pieces of the next book I want to write. It's called the It's called the Impossibility of Christian Ethics, and that's part of what I'm trying to begin drawing out with City of God. And there are important things that Christians can do. Um, One, as you alluded to a bit ago, there's this Christian appropriation of Socratic dialogue. What's that mean? Well, it means, one, that we have to make sure that we're pursuing the truth in all things rather than merely an agenda, um, and that we have to actually give ourselves over to communicative, uh, benign, uh, and benign critique in the process, understanding like Socrates did, that we simply don't know everything about everything. Um, But what it means from to Christianly appropriate that and become that means that we also have to see more so than even Socrates could our interlocutor as the image of Christ, one in whom we have to give ourselves fully as the neighbor. So we have to offer ourselves up in self-sacrificial life to, to them, which also means interpreting them with the same sort of self-sacrificial benignness that Christ does with us. Mm. Mm. Um, so I, you know, that that's one of the that's that's what I mean when I say that we uh, we have to appropriate uh, Christians have to appropriate Socratic dialogue, and this has to be a ground of political idea, uh, uh, political talk. And then, you know, we also can. Let's go back to the point that we're not getting away from violence. Right. Um, I I think that's true. We will not get away from violence, but we can do things to recognize it within us, to lament it and to ensure that it uh, at least try to stave it off. So I I, I always like to bring it to this illustration. You've had this illustration, I think, on your show before. Um, Someone breaks into my home. I will protect my home. That is a given for me. In fact, as a Catholic, I have a sacramental duty to my family. And sacrament is connected directly to Christ in certain ways Mm -hmm. uh, to ensure their safety, to make sure I have these sort of strange duties that at least I could argue for. Um, so it means I may have to harm someone if they break into my home. And, well, thank God, luckily catechism tells me that self-violence uh, in the form of self-defense is okay. That's fine. I think we got to push it further, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I may have to defend myself and my home, but but one, I should never want to have to defend myself in home, and you do meet people I know you've met them too. Mm-hmm. we're looking forward to that day that they get to uh, bust that firearm out of the safe mm-hmm. and make sure that someone sees the other end of that yeah. um, what uh, what i 've done instead is i've gotten a big, huge dog as you. Uh, <laughs> I've gotten an alarm system, and I make sure to lock my doors, every one of them, before we go to bed. Why? Well, it's not that I'm particularly worried about anyone breaking into my home. It's what I'm worried about is what I would have to do if, if in the off chance, someone actually did. And so I'm trying to break down the possibility of violence with any number of steps in between uh, someone getting into a home and shooting, uh, or somehow assaulting them, right? And I, I don't know how that plays out beyond the example. We can, for instance... Um, in dialogue, I think we can know our other side very, very well, understand where they're going to come at us, understand what they're going to say to us and learn how to deflect those assaults, those de-dignifications, rather than buy into them and enter that game. I think that might be one way that we could do it in political discourse, become the master of the just brush aside. <laughs> and that's yeah. Hard
0: yeah. 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 Oh. And I think, you know, I, this this could take us any number of places because I want to come back to one other thing you'd said, but yeah, yeah. but you know you know um, th- that does seem to be a reason we remain where we are. We don't want the work. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's too much work. And we enjoy the win. It's both, right? That, it's exactly. I, I agree with that. I oh yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely, absolutely. Because it
1: feels good to watch Captain America punch uh, punch evil in the face, man. Uh, right? We sure. Think of ourselves as Captain America,
0: and and that gets me back to you know kind of um, a, a line you used um, to look at our interlocutor, our neighbor, that person that we may view in, initially or at some level adversarial in the same, with the, with the same benign sense that Christ looks at us. I want you to unpack that a little bit because I think that there's a, um, a thread um, that has developed theologically that Jesus doesn't look at us so benignly.
1: <laughs> well we you know we always right? think of Jesus looking at us at least benignly he's the nice hippie right um, sure sure it's God the Father who uh who we get worried about because it's uh it's Jesus who forms the uh the wall of blood between God's wrath and us or that that's at least the cultural images that have taken place but you're yeah I mean you're right too some think that uh Jesus is constantly sitting over on a stool maybe smoking a stogie uh looking at us with kind of one eye squinted going yeah you You probably shouldn't have thought of that woman in that way uh, in that particular instance. That's a check against you for hell. Um, You know, maybe say a prayer or something, get it right next time, and I'll bring you up into heaven. Um, Look, I think Christ tends, it it can get lost because of the way that he's sometimes curt with the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. I actually think that this is not so much... um, If you you notice, he oftentimes skirts their questions and tries to draw them into the truth rather than just enforce some sort of political viewpoint on them. Absolutely. And I think that's an important understanding as well. But uh, how Christ seems to look toward us is with a matter of pure empathy, if that's the right term. He looks at us as the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the... uh, whatever else we might be, right? And, and that is what we are. That's how we should mm-hmm. see ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, come, let me clean you. Let's cleanse. Uh, let me baptize you and draw you back into the community of the faithful, um, who aren't very faithful, mind you, but it's a community right. that God loves nonetheless. And so, what I, I mean, at least how I imagine it is, even if someone... Let's go back to the stupid point of someone breaking in my own, which is likely not going to happen, mind you, but um, right. uh, I shouldn't see that person as pure perpetrator. Hmm. I shouldn't see that person as someone who conscientiously wants to do me and my family harm. I may have to do the person harm, but I should still be able to see... The person as a person with a history, probably a bad history, if I'm honest, Mm -hmm. probably some maybe some drug abuse and maybe a certain amount of de-dignification by his or her parents right, that have uh, drawn them into this life. Or if not his or her parents, maybe they've just screwed up so much that they have no capacity anymore to say no to themselves and they've just given themselves over to their worst possibilities. That should elicit a sense of empathy in me and not mere hatred. Even if anger comes out, anger is momentary. It shouldn't elicit the type of hatred and desire to see them dead. If they end up dead, that might be a consequence. If, uh, but we ought not to ever look toward that. And I, you know, Augustine actually talks about this with soldiers <laughs> mm-hmm. as we're reading through City of God, because there was this big question in the early church: should, could Christians be soldiers? And his point is. Yeah, uh, but you have to understand that if you're a soldier, you must simply do your duty, and then when it comes to the raping and pillaging, you do not participate, and you actively try to stop. Uh, and that that's that's important. It's a, You know, it's cold and calculated in some ways, so you got to kill this person, and you should lament it, but at least leave the innocence alone. I mean, there's, right. Something, right. Like, uh, there's right. something sort of... Uh, crazy about that, but I agree nonetheless.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, we're, we use, we often are forced to use really, um, extreme illustrations because we don't really work with nuance very well.
1: (laughs) I think you're right. Yeah. That is why we have to
0: go. So, but, but I think really at, at heart, um, it's just a mere return to the suggestion that um, we observe the humanity of another person yep yeah. yep yeah. as being as being um I'll turn that phone off as being as being as um as valuable as ourselves i mean yeah. it is the pauline move right it it yeah. is the it is the uh, the place where you know both in romans and both in philippians he says consider others more important than yourselves. It it is an elevation of their humanity because about the time you don't, what you're doing is de-dignifying them. So Paul's really saying, no, no, no. You need to bring dignity back to who they are because their opinions and their location and their positions, socially relegated, culturally conditioned, whatever they are, have, as you described it with your analogy, have come into play and we ignore those.
1: And it makes it easier for us to rape and pillage. It's, it's a difficult thing, isn't it? Because I, I tend to be on the more confrontational side of things. I think to my fault, I, 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 I've repented a many, many a times. Um, But even like, so put yourself in the situation where you're at a restaurant. Let's, let's take a less extreme example. Your waiter or waitress treats you rudely and they can de-dignify you in that process, right? They can. It's very easy to do. Um, they're also, however, this this becomes the point. Do you recognize that you're sitting in a spot where someone half an hour earlier was de-dignifying them either by slapping their butt, uh, probably not as prevalent uh, in a modern restaurant as it was in the in the fifties, in maybe, I don't know. Uh, I'm not a waitress. I've never experienced it. Right, right. Or someone who refused to tip them, gave them a one cent tip or someone who just made rude remarks about how, you know, uh, their slow service certainly shows on their person, right? That's probably what they've experienced in that past half an hour. And yet my immediate reaction is after I've been de-dignified to try to do the same back.
0: Right, right. Yeah, there is no, no cheek turning.
1: No, there's no cheek turning in
0: that. No, no, there's just a retaliation, you know, and and yep. and and, I, and again, I, that gets us all the way back to the beginning. That's we've got that violence sitting in our back pocket. You. So whether or not it it you know reveals itself or exposes itself uh, on the field of battle or uh, in the uh, on the mat in a ring, yep. uh, it shows up in our words and. That's right. um, you know, I I, I that's really kind of what compelled me, really, um, because I I think we're um, I think you use the word, uh, well, what came to mind in reading it is we we tend to be a little self congratulatory. <laughs> yeah. You know, I haven't killed anyone today. You know, yep. <laughs> and and yet at, the, at at the same time, uh, what we've done with our words has has been as wounding. Mm-hmm. Um obviously different levels, different, maybe um, extreme consequences, but nonetheless um, really, really harmful. Sure. And, uh, and I think that's, that, that is probably a place we need to pay more attention and help people pay more attention to that. That's a violence. It's always, always
1: around us. You know, maybe a good check for ourselves is this. I've been trying to think of a way to put this. um, (laughs) You ask yourself, is what I'm going to say, should someone want to punch me in the face for what I'm going to say right now? And am I willing to take that punch in the face and go with it? Uh, and fight back with these words. And why I say that is what we oftentimes do is we, we protect ourselves through our words with the untold story that the police will protect us, that X, Y, or Z person will protect us from this violence. But I wonder if we shouldn't just confront it directly and ask, should someone want to punch me in the face for what I'm about to say? And if they do want to, should I actually say that thing? (laughs)
0: <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And, and I think that's the internal war because, you know, then we move to rights. I have the right to say anything. Well, the, I don't I don't I don't know that that's the case. Yeah. 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 You know, I don't know that I agree that it's the case that you have the right to
1: say anything. In a First, legal sense, I, I will say you've got a right to you got a right to say whatever the heck you want. I just um, I, I just think that rights are a. They're basically to prevent us from being overly governed for the most part. And to understand, you know, in this case, to understand that it's very easy for political agendas to infuse our everyday talk, to disallow the free floating of ideas that pursue the truth. We ought not to buy that as the baseline of who we are. We ought to say to ourselves, fine, I got the right to call someone a jerk. I got a right to tail them. I got a right to honk at them. But should I? Is this actually who I want to be as a person? And is it drawing me into Christ further?"
0: Sure. And and because we're talking about what we do together, is it producing something yep. that's more truthful? Something mm-hmm. that's yeah. got a greater good and something that fosters a social order that happens to be more beautiful. So that's, those yeah. become the things that when I when I insist that 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 you don't, it is in the context of there is a vision we have for the way we would like the world to be. Yep. And I can't I can't default to uh, a violent move that makes the world what I want it to be. And, and I think that's where you need friends or interlocutors that you'll be willing to listen to who'll say, you know, I think you're actually trying to produce something counter to what you say.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You know? that's, the, that's the true friend. I mean, that's, that's how ancient philosophers talked about the true friend. The true friend is someone who knows you better than you know yourself and is mm-hmm. willing to confront you on your vices. Um, mm-hmm. And we all suffer from this vice today. I I think many of us really do, that we want to pound the world as we know it into submission of how we want it to be. And that should provoke two questions for us. One, how violent am I? But two, how right am I about the world and how I think it should be? That's where that democratic humility needs to take place and where we need to live in constant deference to Christ and the world that Christ will bring and not the one that we will make. And, and
0: here you are, always circling around to your Christological move, because there it is, right? I mean, there is that humbling yourself to this point, mm-hmm. and we just, because of what's in us, we
1: are always resisting that Christological call. We're defiant in the truest sense of the original sin that we, uh, we engaged that, with. That is exactly right. <laughs>
0: Well, man, you got any last thoughts about about uh, what you put there? I'm, I'm excited. I, I I really hope that um, t- to be maybe a, a bit of an instigator to prod you on your book. I, yeah, think, I-, it, I think, man, that's uh, that that's something I look forward to seeing in print and and going
1: through. I always love these conversations. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, not not much. Maybe I go into preacher mode and say apply it and uh, knowing that I need to apply it too. And I, I hope that I hope someday knowing that it will not come about, but someday we may engage in real truth driven conversations about how to live communally, socially and publicly. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. hope. Hey, you know, everybody's got we got to have a vision, right?
0: Got, yeah, we gotta 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 have a dream, and, yep. and got it, and then gotta have something to work for
1: together, right? That's right, that's right. Yeah, and uh, you know, some someday I you know, I wish I had a podcast so I could interview you to see how you as a, uh, you know, as a city city councilman, how you might see and apply some of these principles because I think it's hard you're engaged in the nitty-gritty of this and I want to I want to see how it comes out sometimes and where you find yourself to be at fault and where you find yourself to be uh be in the right and to you know where you're making the right moves it is tricky yep
0: you have to always you know and and, and it's really hard to obviously to say in in certain settings because they look at you like you know with one of those like Third eyeball looks, you know, and and it, and it's like, but you you do have to keep that crystallogical thing in front of you. I mean, you yep. do have to keep that because it it really becomes an easy uh, w- way to collapse into what you knows in you, yep, and the way you can de dignify and dehumanize others because after all, you have a particular position, and then you begin to wield it in a way that that is um detrimental to the greater good that you actually purport to be supporting. So, yeah, no, I yeah. agree. No, I agree. that's good. Well, man, I want to thank you for your time as always. And yeah, uh, so. keep churning it out. We'll get on to do it again.
1: <laughs> sounds awesome to me.
0: All right, man. All have right. a good day. Take easy. All right. Well, if you didn't find a nugget or two in that conversation, then go back and listen again. I'm certain that you will find some really helpful uh, resources that you might check out. As always, we like to talk about the Gorgias and uh, other things that Eric's reading. He mentioned a couple of pieces. I'll uh, note them in the blog post associated with the podcast when we release it. You know, um, one of my friends, uh, Jason Michelli, and his crew over at Crackers and Grape Juice, he invited me into uh, a conversation with Beverly Gaventa. And so next week, um, we'll have a, a conversation with Beverly Uh, around really her newest little book or one of her new books on uh, the book of Romans. When in Romans, it's really a a fascinating and helpful take on grasping Paul's uh, long arc argument, and um, it's refreshing, and I appreciate Jason inviting me to uh, join him on the podcast. We've been talking about Romans together for a little bit, and um, I think you'll find it helpful. But until then, I want to always uh, thank you for listening to Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian, and remind you that you can uh, uh, share the podcast. I love interactions, so on uh, Facebook when this posts or on the blog posts, uh, send your feedback, uh, ask questions, uh, suggest uh, other folks to have conversations with, maybe even you, and uh, we'll we'll get after it. And uh, until then, peace.